0: Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast, helping you be more successful at work and in your life. We profile topics and speakers that are influential in your world. Here are your hosts, Jen Nicholson and Blair Cook.
1: Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Blair Cook. And I'm Jen Nicholson. Today we have with us Anna Maria Cicerello. Anna is a CPA CA, a U.S. CPA, and a Certified Fraud Examiner. She's also a Senior Manager in KPMG's Forensics Unit. Anna has over 15 years of experience gained through participation in high-profile investigations involving asset misappropriations, earnings management, facilitation payments, and other malicious activities. Today we talk to Anna about fraud in the workplace, how it happens, and how it can be prevented. Let's listen in. I'm so happy to be here today with Anna Cicerello from KPMG. She is in the forensics practice with KPMG, and today she's going to talk to us about fraud. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. Thank you. So fraud is one of those things that people find very mysterious and interesting and maybe feel like it's one of those things that they think isn't going to happen to them. Is that really the case? A lot of times people don't feel that fraud is going to happen to them until
0: something does happen. And then, of course, everyone becomes alarmed and wants to try to find answers to explain what's happened, understand how it could have happened and what to do to prevent it from happening in the
1: future. And how often does fraud happen in organizations?
0: It's difficult to say how often it does happen because a lot of times it goes unreported. A lot of individuals, a lot of organizations don't want to come forward and admit that they have experienced a fraud.
1: Well, even after they've discovered it.
0: Well, they may take actions at the time that they discover it to either dismiss an employee and certainly take preventative actions at that point. But in terms of the number of reported instances of fraud, it's oftentimes a lot lower than um, than the actual occurrences that that happen. It's estimated, however, that organizations lose an estimated five percent of their revenues to fraud each year.
1: Yeah, we've heard that stat. Uh, from the fraud examiners in the U.S.
0: It's the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners does a report to the nations every two years, and that was the uh, statistic from the 2016 report. Yes,
1: yeah, that's staggering when Absolutely. you look at how big Absolutely. that could be. I mean, that could be a billion dollars in some of our large organizations. Absolutely, there's there's certainly different types of
0: categories of fraud. We have some of the lower dollar volume type of frauds, which are
1: asset misappropriations, so either misuse of cash or uh, yeah, theft of assets, such as even even no, large. Office supply thefts, even or oftentimes, computers, or
0: absolutely, yeah. And, and oftentimes, we find that it starts with very, very small items. So it could be paper clips and pencils and post it notes, and then gradually proceed to thefts of hundreds, thousands, uh, and sometimes dollars into the millions. Absolutely, there's generally three types of misappropriations that we see, or three types of occupational frauds that we see. We see asset misappropriations, corruption. This generally involves more than one person. And then we see financial statement fraud, which is the deliberate misapplication or omissions of facts in financial statements. Now, what is involved with corruption? In corruption, generally what you have is people that are not disclosing relationships that exist. Perhaps they are accepting kickbacks from suppliers in order to direct business to those suppliers. Perhaps they are paying amounts in order to secure some type of benefit. And certainly that's illegal. So especially when it involves government officials, government agencies, government bodies. Wow. Is that something that happens in Canada very much? It has happened in Canada. Certainly the number of cases that we've seen globally in the last uh, ACFE report puts that number at about 35% of all reported cases involved corruption. Oh, wow. We have seen that in Canada as well, to a lower extent, certainly. Those types of cases, though, however, uh, certainly have a lower, uh, I would mm-hmm. say, lower than a financial statement fraud in terms of the loss that uh, the organization incurs.
1: So financial statement fraud, we, we've all heard about REACs or Sinoforest, some of those big ones. Right. How common are those types of situations?
0: On the last uh, ACFE report, those were at about 9.6% with a median loss of about $975,000. That's actually decreased from the prior figure that was in the 2014 report to the nations. Those tend to be done by senior level management, often that are facing different pressures than actual employees or managers would be facing. Typically, individuals that are committing that type of fraud are facing pressures from the market to maintain a certain earnings per share, to achieve a certain earnings level.
1: What kind of pressures cause an employee to steal?
0: Oftentimes, it's a lot of different pressures depending on what they're facing in their life. It could be chemical addictions, could be gambling addictions. It could be health issues in their families. It could be any type of pressures that they're feeling either in their home life, from their parents, from their peers. A number of different factors can contribute to why a person might be incentivized to commit fraud.
1: And how does it happen? I mean, it's certain people might want to steal, but how are they able to steal or how are they able to misstate financial statements? A lot of
0: times it's weak internal controls. That tends to often be the number one contributor that we do see either internal controls that are weak or internal controls that are there, but aren't functioning the way that they're intended to, or they are not monitored. So people are either able to circumvent them or you know bypass them completely so that they can obtain those funds or, or obtain the use of those assets without a, a, the organization being aware of it.
1: Right. So things like I, I remember seeing a, a situation where an organization required two signatures, but one of the signing officers signed all the checks in advance so that it was easier.
0: Absolutely. There's, there's a number of different things. And a lot of times organizations may have a check signing limit. So you might have check signing limit being $10,000. Well, if you're going to bypass that. You may do a check for $9,999. Exactly. Or you may do two checks, each one for $5,000. There's a number of ways to circumvent controls. And without proper review of that, without proper detective mechanisms in place, its I don't want to say it's easy, but it becomes a lot more unnoticeable when those types of things happen.
1: Are there certain types of organizations that are more susceptible to that, that have weaker controls? Generally, smaller
0: organizations where there's very little segregation of control possible. That is the types of organizations where we tend to see this a lot more. But certainly that doesn't mean that larger organizations are immune, because although you may have segregation of, uh, of duties, a lot of times these organizations have long-term employees and there builds up in the culture of the organization, a lot of trust amongst one another. So we've seen instances where people might share their passwords with one another and a have it on times, a sticky note on their absolutely. Uh, cubicle. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, under their, uh, under their keyboard or uh, common passwords that are easy for people to, to guess. And that becomes a really contributory factor in having these frauds um, become executed.
1: And what are some ways that companies can prevent frauds?
0: A lot of times it is having these good internal controls. So it could be something as simple as doing continuous review, continuous monitoring to make sure that the controls that are in place are being adhered to, that the transactions going through are going through in accordance with those controls. There should be regular oversight, certainly, of spending. There should be regular monitoring of spending. And re- certainly, most importantly, just regular management involvement and having an appropriate tone at the top that's implemented that says, if we see this, it will not be condoned and there will be repercussions to employees because a lot of times employees may see that has the deterrent. Losing their job becomes the deterrent as opposed to a disciplinary notice saying, don't do this again. Right.
1: Internal controls are one thing, but what other things should be in place to prevent this type of thing from happening.
0: So if we if we think about, you know, the fraud triangle and sort of the contributors to how good people may ultimately commit fraud, a lot of times it's the opportunity to do it. It could be the uh, rationalization that, you know, what the mon- the organization owes me this money, and it could be the pressures in their life family pressure, health pressures, and so forth. Tone at the top is really important to preventing that rationalization of no one will know. I won't get caught. The organization owes me this. They're mean to me. A lot of times a good positive control, a good positive tone at the top will prevent an employee from thinking that it's acceptable, from thinking that it will go undetected, and from really serving as a deterrent that the opportunity may be there. There may be a weak internal control, but it'll make them think twice before taking advantage of it.
1: Yeah. So they won't feel that they they want to, or they should do it, even though they realize that they can. Correct. Is it true that a certain type of employee is more likely to commit a fraud? So let's say a newer employee versus a long-term employee. You know, what
0: we've generally found is that individuals who do commit fraud have been with the company generally more than five years, Wow. typically at the manager level. That's not to say that frauds aren't committed by new employees just starting out, but there's certainly we can see the loss, the level, the loss amount of the, or the amount of the fraud being much lower with a new employee than with you know, an employee that's been established there has built up a degree of trust within the organization. And people generally almost don't even want to admit that that person could have done this because they really had that much trust invested in them.
1: Longer term employees also know where the loopholes are.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. They know how to circumvent the process that currently are in place. They know the type of review that other people may or may not be doing, and they can certainly take make that, um, take that knowledge to their advantage. And how are most frauds detected? A lot of times they are detected by TIPS, despite the best efforts to have internal controls in place. In most cases, they are identified by TIPS, either employees telling their managers, telling senior management, or reporting them to a whistleblower or a hotline. Okay,
1: wow. Three pieces of advice you would give our listeners to Broad proof their organization, if there's such a thing. Certainly, I
0: would say that a whistleblower or hotline function is essential so that when employees or when vendors, external vendors, determine that something is going on or they're they're aware of something that they may have concerns about, they have an avenue to go to and present those concerns. And effective whistleblower hotlines, often the reports of those go to the audit committee or very senior management. So it's going to the right channel for someone to take action. Second, I would certainly encourage organizations to do some type of continuous monitoring or an analytics trending review. The data is there, and oftentimes the devil is in those details. So I would encourage people to review that data, review and look for anomalous patterns, look for vendors that share the same address as employees, look for spending patterns that are out of line, look for ways that people could have circumvented the process of check signings by issuing more than one check or checks just under the spending limits. That's certainly
1: very helpful. So is there, I assume that there are programs that do this fairly easily.
0: There certainly are programs. There's there's a number of programs available. There's a number of external agencies and accounting firms that can come in and uh, and help organizations implement these types of monitoring mechanisms. And the third item, I would certainly start with an effective tone at the top. Promoting a culture where something is not acceptable certainly does go a long way. And certainly, you know, one can never discount that everyone comes from you know, a lot of different paths of life. So things that may be appropriate in one organization certainly might not be appropriate in another. And having those types of expectations set at the onset, enforced by management and continuously reinforced by management certainly does go a long way to deterring fraud and making it at least unacceptable or culturally unacceptable in an organization.
1: That's fantastic advice. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CPA Success Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. Visit www.cpaCanada forward slash podcast.